Please take your Bibles now and turn together to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, our focus tonight will be verses 4 through 6, revisiting the second commandment. Last time we were together in Exodus 20, we considered the the second commandment for a first time. We're going to consider it again together tonight, and then, Lord willing, next week we will move on to the third commandment as we consider the Ten Commandments together tonight. Once again, please give your careful attention to the Word of God as we heard this morning, the living and active sword of the Spirit. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7 of Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. We will end the reading of God's word there. Let's stop and ask for his blessing. Father in heaven, we pray that you would make us like Jesus Christ, that blessed man who delighted in your word, even delighted in your law, and meditated on it, and was given fruitfulness and blessing through it. Father, enable us now to meditate together on your word and to be taught, and to see not only our sin, but our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be instructed in how we are to worship you our living God, our Savior, and our King. And so we ask that you would work in us now by your Spirit and by your Word. Uh, To your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Ten Commandments teach us how to love. They teach us how to love. The first commandment told us who to love and who to worship. The second commandment tells us how. It tells us that we are to love and worship God, not in our own ways, not with things that we craft or we come up with, but in God's way. As we saw last time, the second commandment calls us to worship the right God in the right way. And this is so important because this is what life is all about. We are made to know and love and worship our God, our Creator and our Redeemer. This is important because there's a lot of confusion about this today and throughout church history as well. Now, last time we considered how God does not wish to be worshipped, what He forbids, 
here in the second commandment. And tonight we want to look at the flip side, the positive. What does God want? What does the second commandment require of us? How does God want to be worshipped? And remember, the point of the second commandment that we are called to learn and to seek to live in Christ by faith is this. That the Lord your God is to be worshipped in his way. You and I are called to worship the Lord our God in the way that he directs. Now, what is that way? Well, you and I are called to search the scriptures and to learn and seek to practice that way. We are to worship the Lord our God in his way to the best that we are able. Well, tonight we want to consider three points to guide us in seeking to understand and apply the positive side of the second commandment. So I want us to consider the requirement, the reasons, and then the ramifications. Let's begin by considering together the requirement. Look again at verse 4 and following. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Now remember, if you were with us last time, the second commandment forbids coming up with our own ways of worshiping God. It forbids any worship, any bowing or serving that is not according to God's command, that is something we have crafted and we have come up with ourselves. And so that is the, the negative side, what's forbidden. What, but what does this command require? Well, this command requires that we do bow before and we do serve the living and true God. We worship him and we worship him in his way, in what he's asked for. God is very serious about this. He asks for true and pure worship. Now, in the Old Testament, before Christ had come, this involved a lot of meticulous details, very clearly spelled out and commanded in places like the rest of Exodus and Leviticus. Very detailed commands about the tabernacle, the temple, the priesthood. Uh, the, all the various sacrifices and priests and the, the ritual purity laws. And there were serious consequences when these were not obeyed or when they were added to. And we could look at examples of that. Uh, but as we saw a while back as we were introducing uh, the law of God, these laws were part of the ceremonial law, these laws governing Old Testament worship. And they were pointing ahead to the coming of Jesus Christ, and they were fulfilled by him. We no longer worship in these ways because these were temporary. They were appropriate for that time before Jesus Christ came. But now, because of Christ's finished work, they're no longer required. They're the shadow, but not the substance. But that leaves us with the question, well, how should we worship now that Jesus Christ has come? Uh, is worship now open to our creativity and our ingenuity and our ideas? Well, what we see in the New Testament is that God requires right worship. Uh, God is still serious about worship. He's still jealous for his own worship. And he really doesn't just leave it up to us. We heard this earlier, but Jesus said in John 
chapter 4, the Father is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Not just in any way that they would like. Jesus warned in Matthew 7 against vain worship and leaving God's commands for the traditions of men. Hebrews 12 says we are to offer acceptable worship with reverence and awe. And 1 Peter 2 verse 5 says something very similar. But what is acceptable? What is acceptable worship? What does God want from us when we come together as his people to worship him? Well, we don't have time for an exhaustive look at the answer to this tonight. But the New Testament does give some clear basics. What does God want from us in worship? First of all, God calls for praise. God calls for the singing of praise in worship. Hebrews 13 verse 15 says, Let us offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips. James 5.13 tells us to sing praise. Colossians 3.16 and Ephesians 5.19 call for singing praise, telling us to sing praise with the songs God has given us in the Psalms. And there are examples of Jesus and the apostles doing just that. Now exactly what we are to sing and how we practice just singing the Psalms, that's an important topic, but it's a bigger topic for another time. What else does God call for in worship? Well, the New Testament also says prayer is to be a part of our worship. Paul told Timothy how the church should conduct itself. And he said in 1 Timothy 2 verse 1 that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings are to be made for all people. Acts 2 verse 42 says that the church devoted itself to prayer. And Jesus himself gave us the Lord's Prayer, not only as a guide for our own prayers as individuals, but as a corporate prayer to be prayed together. It's in the very language of the prayer. Our Father in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. We also see that God calls for in worship the reading and the preaching of his word. That's why we are doing what we are doing right now. Uh, Paul charged Timothy to preach the word, uh, 2 Timothy 4. He called him in 1 Timothy 4 to devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, exhortation, and teaching. And so we are called uh, to the reading and preaching of God's word and worship. And finally, we're called to observe the sacraments, uh, the Lord's Supper and baptism. Now that is a very quick, very quick crash course on what God calls for in worship from those of us living this side of the coming of Jesus Christ. But maybe to summarize, basically, worship is to be centered on God and his word, singing praise from his word, praying according to his word, reading and hearing his word proclaimed, and then seeing it displayed and signified in the sacraments. We don't have time tonight to get into more details, but we need to be clear on uh, the principle. The Bible calls us to, the, the second commandment calls us to worship God in God's way, not in our own ways. And by and large, sadly, often the church has missed this. 
the church has often not asked, what is God's way? And one of the results is that worship is then all over the map. It becomes subject to culture, preferences, tradition, pragmatics, human ingenuity, and often not God's word, which is pure and unifying and unchanging. Somewhere along the way, this key step, this key principle has been left out. Asking God, how would you have us worship you? Lord, what do you want? You made us to worship. You've saved us. You've redeemed us. Undeserving sinners, teach us how to respond. Teach us how to praise and worship you. What what do you require? What would please you? What does your word say? Now, asking the right question or or, or having the right principle does not guarantee the right answers. It doesn't guarantee full unity in the visible church as well as, as meaning, well-meaning Christians will disagree on how to apply this. But this is the starting point. God does require right worship. Worship, not in our way, but in his way. According to and centered on his word. But that leads us to another question, and that is, that is why. Why does God call for this? I want us to consider second tonight, the reasons. The reasons. Look again with me at verse 5 and following. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Why does God call for uh, this worship? What are the reasons? I want to highlight three reasons. There are many more, but I want to highlight three tonight, uh, why why we are to worship God in his way. And the first reason is because of who he is And what he has done. He says here, I am the Lord your God. Uh, He says very much the same thing in verse 2. I am the Lord your God. But then he goes on, who brought you out of Egypt. Out of slavery. God is Savior and Lord. Uh, You belong to him. You owe your life to him. Your salvation to him. And, And he's in charge. He's God the Lord. I used to work for a contractor, and often he would give me jobs to do, and then he would leave. He would tell me exactly what he wanted. He would lay out the plans, and then he would go to do something else. And when he came back, he would expect me to have done what he asked. But what if he left and I decided I had a better way? I had a better idea. I thought maybe I'll I'll change the plans or add to them. I think, well, I think this will please him. I mean well. Others are doing it, or it's going to look better. Um, I know how to, and and so on. And I come up with reasons and excuses for changing the plan. How do you think he would have responded to that? He just wanted me to simply follow his plan. He would not have been impressed. Now, if he was gracious, he would have forgiven me, and our God is gracious. But in much the same way, Except it's far more important. The Lord our God wants us to simply follow him. 
He wants us to worship in his way. And that's perfectly reasonable for him to ask and to expect of us. He is God and he is Lord. He is the Lord, our God. He is our Savior. The second reason to worship in God's way is because God's way is best and God's way works. God's way is what glorifies him and it's what's best for you and me, even if we don't fully understand it or realize it. This is true of all of God's commandments. God does not ask us to do or to not do that which is um, not good for us. This is true of all the commandments, but certainly this one. You've all probably heard the phrase, uh, you are what you eat. Well, God knows you are and you become what you worship and how you worship. You are what you worship and how you worship. Psalm 115 and Isaiah 44 make that point. Worship, worship profoundly influences and shapes us as human beings. And when we worship God in his way, he makes us more like himself. That's why his word should be central to worship, because we want that shaping us. Not ourselves, not the world, not man's ways or the culture. That will make us shallow, self-centered, worldly. God wants to meet with us and worship and, and fill us with grace and truth. And he knows best how to do that. His word is a sufficient guide for this. 2 Timothy 3.16 says his word is able to equip us for every good work. And one of those good works is worship. Why would we look anywhere else to guide us in worship? Worshiping God's way uh, works. It's what we need. It's what brings glory to him. Or put it this way, God's worship in God's way has God's blessing. God's worship in God's way has God's blessing. Well, a third reason to worship God in God's way is simply because you love him. Out of love for the Lord your God. And remember, that is what the law is all about. That is how the law is summarized. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and might. God loves you with a passion with a zeal. He has loved you from before the foundation of the world. He loved you when you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He's jealous for us like a husband is jealous for his bride. He gave his only son for you. Will you respond with love for him? Love because he first loved you. Worship is a primary demonstration of that love. It is a primary way in which we respond and love our God. Think about how you might show love to a very good friend. One way you might show love to a dear friend is by giving a gift. Now let's say you're buying flowers for a friend and you happen to know that their favorite flower is, is a rose. They really like roses. And so you buy them roses, even though you might prefer tulips, even though they might be on sale or, or they're in right now. You do that because of love for that person, out of a desire to please 
and honor them. Well, is this not how we should approach God in worship? Show him love in, in his way, in a way that we know he delights in. Jesus said in John 14, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Brothers and sisters, worship God. Show him love in this way because he loves you and you love him. Not because he needs it. Not because he is selfish. But because this brings him joy and honor and glory. If God wants it, if he asks for it, that should be enough. Because he's God. Because you love him and you do anything for him. Well, there are certainly many more goods, good reasons to worship God in his way. But let's consider third and finally some implications. What does this mean for our life and our worship? Let's consider third tonight, the ramifications. The ramifications. God calls you for good reason to worship in his way. Not according to the ways of this world, not according to the ways that we might imagine or create. And the question is, will we? Are we willing to? Will we follow through? Will we do this? Will we submit to him out of love and give ourselves to him and to his worship? If so, this will have ramifications. It will mean some significant things for our lives. First of all, it will require your commitment and your presence. Your commitment and your presence. You can't worship God if you're not there. If you regularly allow other things to crowd out the worship of God. Uh, hobbies, responsibilities, business or pleasure, family, sleeping in, whatever. If you allow these things to come before him and to keep you from worship. On a very basic level... God asks you not to miss worship because he's made you to worship. He's saved you. He's loved you. He calls you to worship him in his way. But worshiping God in God's way is much more than that. You need to not only be physically present in worship, but also mentally present. You can't give God right worship if you're half asleep. Or if your mind is a million miles away, if your mind is wandering to work or to, to recreation or whatever's next or to lunch, the cares of this world, a worship is so much more than simply showing up. Now certainly we, we should try to show up even when we're, uh, when we're distracted or the cares of this world are weighing on us heavenly, or heavily, uh, but we ought to seek to be mentally engaged and prepared. Showing up ready to meet the living God. Clearing our schedule and our minds as best we can so we can hear from him and respond to him with heartfelt, mindful praise and prayer. This is one of the reasons we take a little bit of time before the service to ready our hearts and to pray. We should be doing that all along, getting ready far before that time. But it's just one more way to try to mentally prepare to be ready to meet with God. We need to be prepared and focused and dialed in, if you will. I always had a sense when my college soccer team was going to come out flat in a game and play poorly 
from when we lacked focus ahead of the game, when we lacked focus in the locker room, when we weren't prepared mentally or physically. Well, friends, are you prepared for worship? Do you seek to prepare ahead so you can be at worship physically and mentally the way you would prepare for a really important event, a big game, an exam, an interview, a wedding, a special trip, something you really care about and look forward to. The most important part of your life as the people of God in Christ, the most important part of your schedule, your most important meeting, a non-negotiable thing is worship of the living God. And when you're captivated with God and his glory and his goodness and his love for you and you're, you're filled with love for him, this comes uh, naturally, it's a privilege. Uh, it is not a burden, it is a joy and a delight. Uh, worship is about your most important uh, eternal relationship. It's the most important spiritual meal of the week uh, where your soul is fed uh, with a feast with God's people. And so don't miss out, don't starve yourself by not being there or by not being ready. Worship God in God's way. This means being in a church, being in a body of believers who are committed to this. You can't worship God in God's way when the focus is not on him, when his word is sidelined, when you come and watch others worship, when you show up and you simply observe and and watch what takes place. Worship is not a talent show. It's not for uh, this emotional high. It's not this self-help pep talk that we get once a week. It's not about being a part of a social club. It's not primarily focused on you or the person next to you. It is focused on the eternal, infinite God of the universe. And this is why we need to take it so seriously. This is why we seek in this church to take it seriously and to delight in it and worship the way we do. We are here to glorify and to focus on and praise God in his way, centered around him and his word, hearing it read and proclaimed, responding with praise from it, praying by it. And if all of this seems so unique and foreign today, that's because worship can, this focus can so easily be lost. Worship can so easily be changed and turned upside down to be all about us and our ways and our wishes. But what's ironic is that God offers so much more when we come to him in his way. When our focus is on him and his truth and his gospel, when he is the center of our worship That actually does so much more for us. That is actually dynamic and and vibrant and relevant and life-giving. It fills and shapes and builds us like nothing else. And we ought to expect that in worship, even as ordinary and as it is, even though we come week after week, even though it's counter-cultural and counter-intuitive. God's worship done in God's way in the Lord Jesus Christ for his glory will have God's blessing and will glorify him.
And brothers and sisters, when you come to him and worship together, there's a sense in which you are treading together on holy ground. And, and it's sacred and wonderful and beautiful because the almighty God is present. You are worshiping him. He who made you and loves you and gives you eternal life through Jesus, the one who will raise your bodies from the grave and wipe away every tear from your eyes. He is awesome. And to meet with him, to hear from him and praise him and have this privilege is almost too good to be true. There's nothing more important or wonderful. There's no higher privilege or joy. Friends, God calls you to this wonderful service, this duty, this delight. Bow to him. Serve him. Worship him in his way through Jesus to his glory. Now, as we think about that, and as we close tonight, I want to be very clear about one thing. I want to be very clear that we are not saved by worshiping in God's way. We are not saved by right worship. God does not love us more when we worship in his way. No, we are saved to worship. We are saved to worship. And the same was true for Israel when God gave them the Ten Commandments. God saves only by grace alone, through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And then, then we respond with worship. Then we boast in him. We seek to glorify and honor and praise him. And so I want to ask you tonight, have you been saved by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you trusting in Jesus for salvation? And then are you responding in worship to God? Because Jesus died for you and gives you new life. When God warns us here in the second commandment about punishing the children of those who fail to worship him, who hate him, we need to understand that in our sin, that is all of us. That is you and me. We don't love and obey and worship God as we ought. And we deserve this punishment. Apart from Jesus, we will be punished. But friends, the good news, the gospel, is that Jesus has come. And God has visited the iniquity on his child, his only son, Jesus. The one true, perfect worshiper. And it is through Jesus that he pours out love and grace upon thousands who actually deserve judgment. All because Jesus loved God and kept his commandments, and died for those who do not, who break God's law, so that we might no longer live for ourselves, but live for him who died for us. And when that's where your faith and your hope is, and when you're trusting in and captivated by God's love for you in his only son, Jesus, then you will long to bow down and worship. You will long to respond in praise. You will desire to serve him with joy. You will long to worship this God in his way to his glory forever and ever. 
And friends, that is what you are called to in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have not spared your only son, but sent him uh, to take the just judgment that we deserve. uh, Because we are sinners, we are lawbreakers. Uh, Lord, we do not worship you and we don't, don't worship you in the way you have called us to. We fail and fall short. But we thank you and praise you that in Christ... We are counted as righteous and clean and pure. We are forgiven for all of our sins. And we have endless reasons to praise and worship you for all eternity. Lord, help us to do that by faith. Help us to do that in the way in which you have called us to bring honor and glory to you, to bring great blessing to us, to be a witness to this dying world. Father, we pray that we would do this by faith in Jesus and with joy and delight and that you would use your worship imperfect as it is this side of glory uh, to transform us and make us more and more like yourself more like Jesus Uh, we pray this all in his name amen